Hello, everybody, and welcome to Respawn Aim Fire, the kick-ass, irreverent gaming podcast from Affable Idiots. I'm one of your hosts, Alexander Kazina, and we've got with us here, Adam. Gumby. Hey. <laughs> Loved it. I was waiting for it. it. And we've got Chad Michael Innes. Hey, I'm walking here. That's my catchphrase. I'm walking uh, and here. Of course, you can usually catch uh, our This Year podcast live on twitch.tv slash idiots Sunday evenings at about 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, and of course, on YouTube and podcast services, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I nearly, very, very nearly tripped over that information at the beginning. This is my first time hosting the podcast in this capacity, but I think I more or less got through that without You're uh, too much of a hitch. Um, this is our barf episode, our backlog accomplishment with Respawn and Friends episode uh, for the month of January. Every month, we ask you, our listeners, to vote on a game for us to play from our gaming backlogs over on patreon.com slash respawnaimfire. Uh, this month, our theme was sequels. We're also Adam's aunt's kid's birthday, which is technically his cousin. Uh, and between uh, our choice of games for this month, Metal Gear Solid 3, Batman Arkham City, Inside, and Crisis 3, you all voted on us to play Metal Gear Solid 3, Snake Eater, which is what <laughs> no we'll be brain. discussing today. Snake Eater. Snake let me tell you guys. Eater. Let me tell you guys. I have eight pages of notes that I jotted down yes. about this game. Yes. Are some of those notes praiseful? Yes. Are some of those notes neutral? Yes. Are some of those notes critical in tone? Oh, yeah. Ooh. But before we get into all that, let's talk a little bit about the development of this game. So, a fun fact about Metal Gear Solid 3, it was actually originally meant to be developed for the PlayStation 3, because you kind of go through the lineage of prior Metal Gear Solid games leading up to it. The original Metal Gear Solid, PlayStation 1, Metal Gear Solid 2, PlayStation 2, would make sense that this would have released on the PlayStation 3, but because it was a bit of a long wait to get to the PlayStation 3, they decided to just make it for the PlayStation 2 instead. Um, with this particular game, Kojima really wanted to give players a kind of drastically different uh, setting compared to kind of the prior two Metal Gear Solid games. Um, one thing that he really kind of wanted to emphasize is that, you know, in Metal Gear Solid 1, Metal Gear Solid 2, those games begin with you being kind of dropped off at the enemy base where most of, most of the game's action takes place. And in this game, he wanted you to start off really, really far from the game, from the enemy base and have most of the game be you making the trek to the base, skirting all sorts of enemy territories and whatnots. Um, he really wanted this to be a kind of much more realistic Metal Gear Solid game compared to the prior two. He really wanted it to emphasize survival. Uh, and from that kind of flowed this idea that, well, what if it took place in the 1960s? What if it involved you kind of trekking through a jungle, having to kind of forage for food and kind of constantly keep up your stamina and, you know, search for your wounds and things of that, you know, kind of nature. Um, because it ended up taking place, you know, largely in this sort of jungle-like uh, kind of open-ended uh, environment, very different from the urban environments of the prior Metal Gear Solid games. Uh, they basically had to completely do away with the collision engine that had been made for Metal Gear Solid 2 and kind of build a new one from the ground up. Uh, and, you know, th this game's story... Uh, even though it seems like pretty iron tight uh, from beginning to end in terms of what it is that Kojima wanted to tell, apparently early on he had ambitions to tell a story that deeply intertwined with sort of the space race some, and also potentially that would intertwine with stuff that was going on a lot more in World War II, which is why we have allusions to both uh, the space race and World War II throughout this game, but we never actually visit either of those in kind of great detail. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of space uh, missiles and rockets. What's the difference? <laughs> there's a lot of that. Quite a bit. <laughs> quite a bit. Um, so I'm going to go real quick into just a little bit of conjecture here. Just a little, little, tiny little bit of conjecture here. After every single Metal Gear Solid game in existence, Kojima has always said 
this is going to be the last Metal Gear Solid <laughs> game. You go back to the original Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation 1, and even after that game, he was like, this is the last Metal Gear Solid game. After this, I'm going to make something else. I really do feel like with this game that Kojima really wanted to make something that was not a Metal Gear Solid game, and he kind of retrofitted this non-Metal Gear Solid game into a Metal Gear Solid game. I don't have any hard and fast evidence showing this to be true in any capacity, but again, just the fact that it takes place in such a drastically different setting, the fact that it features all these like complicated, like treating your wounds mechanics and, you know, eating animals and whatnot. I can totally see a kind of like timeline where this game was originally going to be something else. And Konami was like, no, 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 you got to make it another Metal Gear Solid game. I don't know if you guys think I'm a little bit off base in thinking that, but it was something that kind of really came to mind on this particular playthrough. I don't know if I feel the same way about this one in particular, just because they're, well, maybe it's just like the mechanics of it are the same, but like the environments are different, I guess, because you're out in the forest and on the cliffs and all that kind of stuff. But I just find it really interesting that he says that about every game. And that makes me think about Metal Gear Solid Five, how it was like unfinished. And I'm wondering if at the beginning of that development, he actually went, maybe he went to Konami and said, listen, if I ever try to make another Metal Gear Solid game, no matter how much I cry, no matter how much I scream, do not let me finish it. Do not let me do it. And maybe that's the story of Metal Gear Solid Five and him being held hostage and wiped from all that kind of stuff. We will never truly know. Now, I have a question for the two of you guys. Mm -hmm. This game is pretty hard to play legitimately in the year of our Lord 2023. Yeah. What version of this game did you each play? I played um, the 360 version of the HD collection. So it's two, three. And in the in the menu, it says there's Metal Gear in there. I don't know. I never clicked on it. I don't know what right. the deal the, is. The, but the original the Metal Gear from yeah. the MSX console slash the yeah. NES. It doesn't say it on the box that that game's in there, but in the menu, it says it's in there. So I don't know. Uh, but... It's the 360 HD collection of two and three is how I played it on an Xbox series. Does that collection hmm. also have, I feel like it has a Peace Walker in it too. Is that right? No, that's another collection. There is another collection that adds Peace okay. Walker to it. Yes. Gotcha. Chat, uh, yeah, I, I, we told this story on the actual podcast a couple weeks ago, but I was like, yeah, I've got this downloaded on my Vita, ready to go. Cause the only other way to play it on a PlayStation console is to actually have a PlayStation three. And so... Went to go boot up my Vita. My memory card was corrupt. Big old thing. Ended up getting a new memory card. Downloaded it to the Vita. That was the only thing that's on my memory card right now. And yeah, I played it on PlayStation Vita. Although I have the Platinum on both PS3 and Vita. So, in case you were worried. Okay. Uh, by any chance, did either of you ever play the original vanilla version of this game? I did not have no. a PlayStation 2 at all, ever. So... Okay. No, I did not. This is just this is just a little bit of extra information for those that might be listening to this podcast with no real knowledge of kind of the history behind this game and the various versions of it. Um, the original vanilla version of Metal Gear Solid Three released in two thousand four, and the main difference between this version of the game and the version of the game that we all played is this version of the game exclusively featured a top-down camera in the vein of Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2's top-down cameras. Uh, no Kojima, way. in fact, received a lot of pushback um, while he was developing the game from people who were like, you know, a lot of games nowadays have, like, you know, free-form cameras where you can kind of control at any time where you're looking. And he was like, well, I want them all to be a kind of trilogy. I want them to all kind of feel alike in that way. But, you know, eventually he abated and, you know, would introduce a, a kind of free-form camera with Metagur Solid 3 Subsistence, which released in 2006, which is the version of the game that the HD version of Metal Gear Solid 3 is uh, based off of. Um, some interesting little facts here about Metal Gear Solid 3. Uh, the Subsistence version, that version of the game actually featured the first incarnation of Metal Gear Online. Um, people don't really kind of talk about it, but the Metal Gear Solid series has had an online mode uh, pretty much uh, since the kind of PlayStation 2 era. And this was sort of the first version of it. And what was interesting about this online mode is like you could kind of customize a, a soldier that you would play as on the battlefield. But apparently if you were like the best ranked person 
in any of the kind of in-game factions within the multiplayer mode, you would automatically be able to play as sort of the leader of that particular faction. So for example, if you were playing on the Gru faction, you would automatically play as Ocelot if you were the best player. If you were playing uh, as, uh, what was it? Uh, the KGB, for example, you would play as uh, uh, Rykov, the, the guy that looks like Raiden, but it's not Raiden, for example. Uh, lots of interesting stuff there. Um, is is the, you're blowing my mind a little bit, like revisionist history, I feel like I, I, I didn't realize until right now that, yeah, Metal Gear Solid 1 is a top-down game. And I guess two. I know there was a re-release of Metal Gear Solid Two called Substance as well. Yeah. Did they do the same thing for that? Is that also kind of like over the shoulder? To my like knowledge, was? no. Substance added God. like a lot of like new features, a lot of new modes, stuff like that. But yeah, the, uh, Metal Gear Solid Three Subsistence was the first like fully three D camera <laughs> in the series in that way. That's wild. My brain has completely forgotten that about two that it was a top down game. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the, all the online stuff was removed from the HD version. Also removed from the HD version was Snake versus Monkey, which was an alternate mode in Metal Gear Solid 3 <laughs> that was like a crossover between Metal Gear and Ape Escape. This is real, well, by the way. I'm not making that? this up. And there was also a Devil May Cry inspired minigame in um, the original version of MGS3 called Guy Savage where Snake would, like, fight zombies in, like, a warehouse. It's real weird. Go look it up online. It, it got was removed that the, from... Was the that HD the, version, like, origins cool. of Metal Gear Survive? Maybe. Honestly, it could very well be. Um, and, yeah, of course, I would be remiss not to mention that there is also another version of Metal Gear Solid 3 out there that none of us played uh, for this particular episode. Uh, Metal Gear Solid Snake Eater 3D which was the 3DS release of the game in 2012. Um, some interesting facts about this version of the game. Uh, you could actually use the 3DS's camera to snap and kind of set a custom camouflage pattern for Snake to wear while, while out in the jungle. Uh, and all the Karotans in this version of the game, which are those little frogs that you shoot, were actually replaced with Yoshi dolls. Um, huh. And seemingly, apparently Snake Eater 3D might have been the last time that David Hayter voiced Snake in like an official Metal Gear Solid game because that game releases in 2012 and then 2014, um, what's his face from The Lost Boys comes in to voice Snake. From the Lost one from yeah. 24. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wild. That's your touchstone for him. You know, what, you know yeah. what I learned about David Hayter recently too? Did you know that he wrote... The movie for Watchmen, he wrote X-Men, and he wrote X-Men yeah. 2, X-United. Like, I, I was not familiar with the Watchmen connection. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I've been rambling a lot, so I want to cede the floor to you guys for a little bit. What exactly was your respective histories with the Metal Gear Solid series and with this particular game leading up to this replay through? Hmm. I have played... I think I've played every Metal Gear game, and this is the only one that I've actually finished. But I'm pretty sure I've played parts of every single one of them. Besides three. This was my first time with three, and then I and I beat it. But yeah, I think I've played every other one, though. My best friend in high school was obsessed with Metal Gear Solid, the whole franchise. But I had never played any of them. And then when I got my PS3, I got the Metal Gear Solid 4 edition of the PS3. Because it was the last one that had backwards compatibility on it. And so that was my first Metal Gear game. And now I have beat Metal Gear Solid 1, 2, 3, 4, Peace Walker, 5, and like the prequel to 5. I forget what it was called. Ground Zeroes. I've beat all of those at least twice, some of them three times. Um, and I've now beat Metal Gear Solid Game Boy Color <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, mm. uh, yeah, so I've, I've played all of... All of them, except for like the the Master System ones, or like Acid, or some of like the PSP right. games, right? Um, and generally enjoyed a lot of them. And this was just my. This was I haven't returned to Metal Gear Solid Three since I got the Platinum. Like I don't know, maybe ten years ago now. So yeah, real quick, my history with the series is that I basically played through every single game over the course of. 2016 and 2017 uh, via like the HD legacy, whatever you want to call it, collection, uh, plus Revengeance as well. And I respected and enjoyed every single game in the series, but 
to be totally honest, I struggled a lot with each game's respective gameplay systems until we got to Metal Gear Solid 5. 5 has its problems, you know, narratively, but gameplay-wise, that game was really sublime. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I would say that of the preceding Metal Gear Solid games, I would say that 3 was actually the game that I struggled with the most, just because the Cold War setting didn't really appeal to me as much as the other game's futuristic settings. And I also found a lot of like the menus and added mechanics uh, coming off of 2 to be a lot. Something like Metal Gear Solid 1, you know, is like the roughest of them all in terms of gameplay, but it's also way more simple, for example. Um, yeah. And... You know, it's interesting, you know, going back to this game, when it was announced that Metal Gear Solid 3 was going to be uh, our barf main, bar, blah, 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 our barf game for this month, I was like, hmm, kind of hoping I would, you know, get a chance to play Arkham City because I've always really wanted to play that. I, you know, I, I was like, maybe I'll, maybe I should play the 3DS version of the game because that would make for like an interesting playthrough. And I was like, wait a minute, let me look into what PSN Profiles has to say about this particular game's Platinum. Turns out, the Platinum trophy for this game is like one of the easiest Platinum trophies in like the entire Metal Gear Solid series. I fully yeah. thought that you would have to like play through this game like super quickly, S-rank it, not kill anyone, do all sorts of like complicated challenges. Not nearly that hard. Still, like there were some difficulties getting that Platinum all the same, but like you basically can play on any difficulty level and so long as you get all the collectibles in the game and uh, don't miss out on any of the Keratans and don't kill anyone, you got yourself a Platinum. Uh, and yeah. I was actually really shocked on the prior episode of the podcast, Chad, to learn that you had previously Platinum the game yourself. Yeah, it, I have only... This is the only one that I have Platinumed. Well, one, because Metal Gear Solid 4 didn't have trophies at the time that I played it, and now it's like almost impossible to play if it's not physical. But um, because Metal Gear Solid 2... On the flip side, you have to play... One of the trophies is you have to get all the dog tags in the game. And the way you get a dog tag is you sneak up on somebody, you hold them at gunpoint, they shake a little bit because they're scared, and then they drop their dog tag. Right. You have to get all the dog tags. And every difficulty has different dog tags. So you have to play on like all five difficulties. You have to beat the game on all five difficulties, holding up every single person in the game. And I'm like, nope, I'm not about that life. Jesus. By comparison, there's only one trophy like that in Metal Gear Solid 3, which is you have to hold up the end at gunpoint to get his camouflage. Yeah. And that's like the only time you have to do something like that. Um, um, one, of, one of the things we've mentioned, like Metal Gear Solid 1 is like simple and that kind of thing. Joel Campos 63 in the chat says, I beat Metal Gear Solid 1 and that game is old. I would uh, I would agree. I In fact, I would go, I would go so far as to say... All of these games are old, with the exception of five. You mentioned Metal Gear Solid Five, just like the gameplay feeling really, really great. But man, returning to this one too is like, oh my god! All mm. of these systems are, yeah, they're old. And I will say, I mentioned earlier how, like, even though the platinum for this game is not as hard as some of the other Metal Gear Solid platinums, it's still a little bit of a pain. Thing about this game is that there are no in-game statistics keeping track of like how many people you have or haven't killed, how many Keratans you've shot. And let me tell you, getting to the end of that game, it was really nerve-wracking because you have to shoot <laughs> all 64 Karotans. And when I finally got to that final screen at the end where they pop all the trophies, I was like, shit, am I going to have like missed a Karotan? And if I have, how in the world am I ever going to be able to find it? But luckily I got that one. So everything worked out okay. We have stalled and dallied for quite some time. And... Adam, you've been sitting there incredibly patiently this entire time. <laughs> Why don't you share your thoughts on this game? Oh, on Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater? Yes. Oh, man. Let me tell you. It's a video game made in 2004. Um, I don't, where do you want me to start? <laughs> How much I hate it or the couple <laughs> things that I think are okay? Start wherever you want to start. I will say, people have known this, I've talked about it multiple times. I have played basically every Kojima game. I don't finish them because I don't like them. And basically for me, it is, it's tone. It's like the way that he likes to tell stories versus, I don't know, again, like this game is a perfect example, right? Where there is the beginning of the game, I mean, there's like a 25 minute cutscene of like, here's the V2 rocket program and we got this guy over the Berlin wall and da 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 and they go through all that. So, okay, interesting espionage Yeah, stuff. that first cutscene is literally 35 minutes. 
Not a joke. Believe me. Yeah. <laughs> I restarted the game and I had to, well, I skipped it that second time. I was like, holy shit. But then you play the game and the tone doesn't match at all. So it, I actually, I found, I was looking through like reviews and stuff for this game based on the Wikipedia page. Um, and this is a funny quote for me. Uh, some critics who found the lengthy dialogue and multitude of plot twists in Sons of Liberty, which is two, to be detrimental to the game experience, found the storyline of Snake Eater a pleasing throwback to the original American Solid with less of the philosophical babble uh, present in Sons of Liberty. And if this is less philosophical babble than Metal Gear Solid 2, I don't want to play Metal Gear Solid 2 ever. Th that's all this game. It's just, oh, God. It's like, yeah, they're talking about the space program and all this is interesting. Cool. But then it's like, meet our five superhero characters. What? Why Why does nobody acknowledge that people have superpowers in this world? It's like, this is serious, real government stuff. Well, what is war? What is a man but a war? Politics aim the soldier, but the soldier has no place in the world. The soldier <laughs> is only what the government tells them. And then, like, a guy, like, is literally made out of bees. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't understand. Like, either be goofy or be serious. It's this weird mix of both, and I don't think it's told well, because, again... The cutscenes just go on and on and on. I don't know if that's a localization thing, just because they're translating it from one language to another. So maybe it just becomes wordy in the translation. But it's like, it's so wordy and takes itself so seriously, but then it's fucking dumb. I'm like, hey, just have fun and be stupid. Don't tell me that you're an Artur, but you're like drawing a stick figure of a, of a clown at the same time. Like, just pick your lane and stay in it. So I, don't, I hate the storytelling. There is gameplay stuff that I think is cool. And I've always said that. I'm like, no, there's stuff here that's cool. I like... The whole curing yourself stuff. Like, that is neat. Like, what kind of game were you like, oh, I got a bullet wound, so I need to take a knife, and then I need to clean it, and then I need to cut it, and then da -da, and then I'm healed up. I'm like, that's cool. The stamina thing, the survival stuff. I'm like, 2004, having a stealth survival game. Extremely unique. I like the camo stuff. All that stuff is so cool. I'm like, this gameplay stuff is interesting. Uh, but then it's like, play for two minutes, and then watch a 10-minute cutscene every fucking two minutes. And I'm just like, I, I don't know. I think it's bad. I think that the story is bad. I think that the characters are bad. I think the <laughs> gameplay is interesting. But at the end, I will tell you of a better game that came out the exact same year that is 100 times better than this video game. Joel has a question Chad? in the chat. What keeps you, What makes you keep coming back? If you've at least played all the Kojima games but not finished, there must be something that's making you at least try them out. Fans. Kojima fans. They're like, it's so good. I'm telling you, dude, if you just get through it, it's so amazing. It's so great. It's so good. All right, I'll try it again. Mm. I I have so many things I want to say. Chad, I want you to get through your top-level thoughts first. Uh, my top-level thoughts, I actually encouraged Adam well, to Well, I, I say top-level thoughts, but you can go as deep or as shallow oh, sure, as you yeah. want. That, that isn't the way I should have phrased it. <clears throat> go ahead. I actually, I encouraged Adam to pick Metal Gear Solid 3 over 2 because, like, looking back on my experience with 3 and I get what I, what I thought the reception of 3 to be, like... That one to me, before four or five came out, was like the the best Metal Gear Solid game. Like that was the one everyone universally like loved the story of boss and that final fight and all that kind of stuff. And like they felt like it was the most like emotionally, um, uh, emotionally mature of the games. Maybe not mature, not the mm -hmm. word that I'm want, but like it has more emotional impact than the rest of them. More developed, like that's what I felt like going into it. Playing it again, I'm like, oh damn! There's so much about this game that I had that I had forgotten, and that I feel like I, I made the wrong choice. I here's what it was: I just didn't want you to have to play as Raiden for the whole game to play as a little wimpy Raiden. <laughs> I was like, no, play a game where you're actually playing as a snake, whether it's Naked Snake or whether it's Solid Snake. But um, yeah, this this game, it I I am not as warm on it now, having played it again ten years later, as I was. 10 years ago when I got the platinum trophies on it. And I think a lot of it for me has to do with the fact that I've, I've realized that the games have never, uh, um, except for five, none of the Metal Gear Solid games, or I'll even say this about Death Stranding, they f none of them feel intuitive to play control-wise. It's like you, your buttons never really quite do what you feel like they should do in a third-person stealth or action game. Uh, the, like the the CQC, the close quarters combat that they have in every Metal Gear Solid game, I never feel confident about what's going to happen when I press the button next to 
an enemy? Is he going to flip? Is he going to, am I going to choke him out? Am I going to accidentally slit his throat? And like, <laughs> I never feel comfortable or confident with how those are going to come out. Let alone if I accidentally have Lord uh, a gun in my hand on accident. And then I try to choke someone out and I shoot him in the head instead. So like, yeah, all of these systems never, never feel good. And I remember that feeling of Metal Gear Solid 4, like being the very first one I played too. I was like, oh, this is, these are interesting controls. But outside of that, um, the what I look forward to most in Metal Gear Solid games is like just the wacky bosses. I know this is part of what Adam hates. It's like a man made of bees or uh, like the wacky bosses um, and like what kind of cool or interesting backstory are these bosses going to have and what kind of like never thought of before gameplay mechanics are going to be around them. Like Psycho Mantis with the recognize reading your save card and making you switch controller ports. And that kind of stuff. I feel like there's a lot of interesting mechanics that a lot of these bosses have. That in Metal Gear Solid Three, I feel like these were the most vanilla ass. They're just they're just weird. I'm an old man. There are cool things you could do, like you could wait out the sniper and make him die. But like they they feel so boring to me compared to all the other Metal Gear universe bosses. So like I was a little let down by that too. Um. And then finally, what Adam liked about the game is maybe my least favorite part. Just, it felt way too Red Dead 2 for me. We're like, you have to, Red Dead, you have to clean your gun. You have to sit at the campfire. You have to sleep on the couch for eight hours while your character sleeps in the game. Like, <laughs> like dressing your wounds, all that. It, just, it was way, eating an anaconda and all this shit. Like, it, it, was, it was too much for me to be an action game. I will say, I did start playing this game. Got... About an hour or so in. I don't know if that's including or excluding cutscenes. I don't remember. And I went back and I said, I don't actually enjoy the the challenge, like like the survival stuff. So I restarted the game on very easy just so I could get through this video game. And again, I still, yeah, so I didn't have to stop every 10 minutes to eat a snake. It was cool, like, <laughs> taking a little bit of damage. I better eat a snake now. But it wasn't like a constant thing. So yeah, I did enjoy that. But I was also playing on very easy just so I could get through this. So... I have a lot of thoughts to share. I will say up front, I find myself once again in the weird position on this podcast of me probably being the person that is most high on this game that I don't even necessarily love that much to begin with. Like I said, this was definitely the game that I enjoyed the least of all the Metal Gear Solid games when I played through the series back in 2016, 2017. But I will say a couple things. First off, Adam, mm -hmm. I have a couple of defenses that I want to put forward as to why I think that the storytelling and writing in these games is better than you're giving them credit. Defense okay. number one. I think that the where a lot of Western games model the cadence and style of their dialogue uh, in cutscenes off of the way it's done in movies and TV, I think that a lot of Japanese anime video games model a lot of theirs off of play and theater. And I feel like to kind of like properly kind of understand what this game's going for, I feel like you need to kind of put it through that lens. When the boss at the end of the game gives her big ass speech, it's like when in Shakespeare, a character like Lady Macbeth gives her big, broad kind of character uh, study kind of like just soliloquy on, you know, who they are and what they're all about. And I feel like kind of with that in with that kind of context, so much of like the weirdness of the way that the game is presented makes so much more sense. And I, I really do think that this is sort of like a conscious decision on Kojima's part, especially when you consider that, you know, not only does every single Metal Gear Solid game allow you to dress up in costumes, but this game uniquely also lets you apply face paint to your faces. And what are two of those face paints? Oyama and kabuki face paints, which are both Japanese theater-related face paints. And so I feel like Kojima is very intentionally going for that specific kind of style. The other thing that I want to say is I think that, in general, there are a lot of Japanese games out there that are very intentionally funny, but are not necessarily viewed as such because of cross-cultural misunderstandings. What they are in what they are attempting in trying to be funny, we kind of perceive as being dry and serious. And, and I'll point to a recent example, Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. Uh, that game came out last year 
and uh, you know, detrimentally, people looked at it and thought this game is trying to be so serious and so edgy, and it is so incredibly dumb. And they really rejected it for that reason. I played three hours of that game, and it was immediately obvious to me this game's not trying to be serious at all. This game is trying to be very intentionally funny and a very intentional parody of these kinds of epic RPGs, but not a lot of people, I think, really were able to kind of like appreciate it as such, which I think is why that game kind of got the mixed reception that it did. The Metal Gear Solid series is this really weird intersection, this really weird intersection where I think it has so much of the same humor, so much of the same like delivered incredibly dry attempts at comedy. But instead of people going, wow, this is so funny, or man, this game is trying to be so serious, but it's so dumb, everybody goes, hmm, yes, indeed. That's that's very, very interesting. A very interesting choice <laughs> on the, the part of Kojima there. Ha having Ocelot do a cat yell to summon his fellow <laughs> Gru units, that was, a, that was a very interesting decision on his part. It's kind of like, and, and some Metal Gear Solid fans are going to be upset at me for this, but I got to say it because it's the best comparison I can make. I'm sure that we've all seen that tweet on Twitter over the course of the past few months. It goes something like Elon Musk slams dick in car door. Musk fans, masterful <laughs> gambit, sir. It's kind of like that where this game and by extension, the entire Metal Gear Solid series is so intentionally funny. There are so many genuine moments of overt, insane comedy that are taken so seriously and viewed so seriously by its fans. And Adam, I think, I feel like your playthrough and your enjoyment of this game might have been soured a little bit by that. I can't help but feel like going into this game, you kind of went into it with a little bit too much of this expectation that you were in for this sort of serious, kind of like heartfelt from front to back experience because of the way that fans talk about it. And I can't help but feel like you might have set yourself up for failure a little bit in terms of being able to appreciate it for what it is, which is a game with kind of great moments of kind of like heartfelt drama, but also great moments of comedy. I just don't think it's funny. And again, my <laughs> issue isn't expectations. I see what you're saying. I think you've made all good points. For me, it's a pacing thing, like with Ocelot. Yes, he growls like a cat, and it's fucking dumb. <laughs> Whatever, that's fine. But then it's legitimately, I'm going to twirl my gun for 10 minutes and talk to you while I twirl my gun for 10 minutes and not talk and twirl a more and then put it back. And I'm like... And you don't find that funny? No, you're wasting my time. <laughs> there, again, comedy is all about, what is it? Timing. Timing. And I just don't, I don't think that... There you go. I just, don't, I just don't like the timing. And again, there's plenty of other things that I don't also think are funny you know, that are supposed to be funny. And again, I, it's just me. I don't find it humorous. And again, don't also come at me with philosophical babble, as this review put it, and then also do silly. Because again, I like silly stuff. There's no problem with that at all. I have a good time. I just don't, it's the pacing for me, I think, more than anything. It's just that like, you get, if you're going to be funny, you can't take 20 minutes to tell me a joke. Like, you got to go a little quicker than that. Mm. I, I will say just real quick to get away from the argument for and against this game's, you know, pacing and writing and whatnot. Uh, I had a lot of fun playing through this game. I will say my enjoyment of this game was definitely benefited from the fact that I also played on super easy because you can just do that if you want to go for the platinum run. I appreciated just like how much detail there was to every environment, every boss encounter, how kind of varied each segment of the game is. Like we've talked about this in the past on the podcast, like modern games have gotten so much bigger, but Oftentimes it feels like what you're doing in them on a minute to minute basis is like so samey and repetitive. And I appreciated just how many segments in this game felt so kind of radically different from each other, how it felt like you were doing something so different on a moment to moment basis, which obviously is a, you know, something that every single Metal Gear Solid game excels at to varying degrees. Uh, love the game soundtrack. Uh, I, I, again, we, we've talked enough about the merits uh, for and against this game's writing, but I think that a lot of the performances were really strong. Um, I will say, going into some things I didn't like about this game, um, obviously, it's not great to be forced to stop to aim to shoot, um, but this is one of those things where, like, I mean, I feel like this is very indicative of the era in which this game was made. Uh, Resident Evil 4, another game that kind of suffered from this. Um, 
And I feel like it just took enough developers to be like, yo, we can move around and aim for this particular kind of little issue to get fixed. Um, again, don't love how kind of convoluted the menus are, even on this particular playthrough. Funny, you know, the fact of the matter is that they're still like 5,000 times simpler than something like a God of War Ragnarok menu, for example. But I still feel like they could have gone for a little bit more simplicity there. Um, I will say, you know, Chad, you earlier touched on how you don't feel like the Cobras in this game feel as fleshed out as like prior Metal Gear Solid, like sinister groups like Dead Cell and Metal Gear Solid 2 or Foxhound and Metal Gear Solid 1. I enjoyed all the boss fights. What I will say is that the individual backstories of each member of the Cobra unit definitely don't feel as fleshed out as the prior characters yeah. that we fought in prior Metal Gear Solid games. Even if you like call uh, like Major Zero and Eva and company on your codec while you're fighting them, the like insights and tidbits that they give on their individual backstories like are not nearly as rounded as what we got for some of the prior characters we fought in the prior games and i thought that was a little bit a little bit disappointing for a long time a lot of people have been like man it would be great to get a metal gear solid like world war ii game in which you play as the boss and like fight alongside the cobras and yeah i totally get it because i do want to see more of these characters and i feel like this game doesn't nearly give you enough of them yeah i got a question i, I just i just think about like about the as you, as you mentioned, yeah, Foxhound, the screaming, what do they call the screaming darlings or something like that from Metal Gear Solid 4 of the like. Uh, the Beauty and the Beast unit. The beauties, yeah, yeah. Like, the, they're just, those are just, they're so interesting. And then these, yeah, they were just so bland. What was your question, Adam? Uh, so I know this is a thing that happens in Metal Gear, but do we really ignore that people have superpowers? Like, why is it, why is the government not talking about these people with superpowers? This is my question. <laughs> They're like, hey, Fog or uh, hey, Snake, you got to go in there and take out her old unit, Cobra. By the way, they all have superpowers. By the way, this Russian general punches lightning. No mention of it ever. <laughs> he, Snake doesn't even mention it. Like, why does this happen in later games where they mention the superpowers? Because there's always weird shit in this game. Does anyone ever mention there are superpowers? They That's never just really shit. do. <laughs> what do you mean? Just weird shit. And it's like, okay. like even thinking like... Um, like eventually revolver ocelot gets his arm cut off replaced with liquid ocelot's arm or liquid oh, snake's God. arm yeah. and then liquid snake through the arm takes over his body and then like his brain and and his consciousness is now liquid snake's consciousness because he got his arm replaced with his an arm. arm and yeah and it's I'm just sure that's the parasites of the nanobots shit. i'm sure that's what that's what one of that is <laughs> i do have I a, mean, uh, go ahead go ahead <laughs> no no uh so really quick about a thing you said and I said, I do like things about this game. There's things I don't like. That's cool. When you're talking about um, like having to shoot in first person and stuff, right? And again, you're like, it was that time where when the game first released, it was originally like the top down, like fixed camera. And then with the update, they changed it, right? So I'll go ahead and bring this up now. There's another game, stealth action game, came out the year, the game came out the same year as Subsistence, but the series was out at the same time Metal Gear Solid 3 originally was. And that's uh, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. Which released in 2005, which is also another stealth action game uh, written by Tom Clancy or based on Tom Clancy. So we get serious, you know, political, military espionage, whatever. There's no superpowers in this one, which is fine. You can do that or not. But that is a game that has you aiming over the shoulder. Like you pull up your gun and there's a reticule aiming over the shoulder. You don't have to go in first person. And my number one issue with this being a stealth game is that. You can't crouch and walk at the same time, which metal or which uh, Splinter Cell does from the beginning makes stealth fun and interesting. The fact that you have to stand all the way up to walk up to grab someone for the close quarters stuff is a weird choice and annoying, especially when you can crouch. But the minute you move and crouch, you immediately go prone and start crawling, um, mm -hmm. which is a thing that Splinter Cell, again, a game that came out before and the same time, allows you to aim in third person and crouch up on people and walk up on them. So playing this game. I was like, I really like this. This stuff is cool. I like the camouflage of this. Why do I have to crawl up to people and then stand up to grab them? And then why do I have to aim in first person to use a gun? Just an interesting thing, considering Splinter Cell literally was doing it better at the exact same time. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I've never played that particular game, but I totally share your frustrations over the movement controls in this game. They're definitely pretty archaic 
both by 2013, 2023 standards, and even at the time, I would say. Yeah, that's an interesting that's thing. The, and when I mentioned like they all just they don't control intuitively, like that's that's kind of the thing that I'm talking about. I was like, why? Why does this movement work the way that it does? It doesn't make sense. And I would give it that excuse. It's 2004. It's 2005. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, you're someone who didn't do it the exact same year. Yeah. But anyways, just to a say something, thing I noticed. to say something good about the game, like uh, I, I still, I still do enjoy this game and I enjoy the series and things like that. I do like how this was as a prequel. Like I like, I like some of the fan servicey type stuff that you like. For instance, Ocelot. Like he, Revolver Ocelot was like a formidable opponent in the fir- in the very first game. And then eventually became like Liquid Ocelot in four. But like to then come back and see what a freaking doofus he is in this game. He's and you dork. can see how he goes from this to then the very first game. Like that was that was cool for me to see. The call out to God, the, the, when you come across Johnny, I laughed a lot. When you come across Johnny, it's like, oh yeah, my name's right. Johnny. My dad's name is Johnny. Grandpa's name is Johnny. I think my son's son name will probably be Johnny too. Like that's a call out to in Metal Gear Solid 1, the guard that you find in the bathroom with his ass in the air, who then becomes the husband of Meryl in Metal Gear Solid 4. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's it's just like, it's cool fan servicey stuff like and that. It was like, I like this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but if you kill Johnny, it creates a time paradox because he, he, <laughs> there, there would be no way for the future Johnny to exist. There, there's a lot of great touches like that, as you would expect out of a Kojima game. Unless yeah. he's already had a son named Johnny and he's just a baby somewhere. <laughs> maybe maybe mm-hmm. maybe baby um it but seems- i'm i'm one of the people who like i everyone always says especially after metal gear solid 4 came out because it has over eight hours of cutscenes in it the the last cutscene in metal gear solid 4 is 71 minutes long yeah um but everyone's always like making the joke like oh no i prefer to play my games i don't want to watch my games uh, like a kojima game but it's like i honestly Unless it's a codec screen, I don't mind it. If it's a codec screen, I'm just watching two JPEGs talk with text on the screen. Then I'm like, this is boring. Let's move it along. But hey, like, Snake, if it's a- have you heard of Godzilla? It's this monster movie from this. Oh, <laughs> yes. my God. <laughs> I would like to eat sushi. Have you heard about it? It's this brand new thing from Japan. <laughs> like, especially in those moments. Like, oh, my God. Paramedic and then the Mei Ling and the other games. It's just like, just let me fucking save my game. Let me save my game and stop talking to me about whatever the fuck you're going to talk to me about but yeah the codex screens i'm done with i'm over codex screens are dumb i do like being able to talk to the colonel as like your objective list instead of just like having a menu with your objectives being like snake this is what you need to do that's pretty cool Mm. i like that and he doesn't talk for 20 minutes at a time so it's all right (laughs) seems like we're slowly kind of coming to the end of our thoughts on this particular game before we close out this episode of the podcast however uh, i have a segment called voice actor trivia chad give me a song i'm a voice actor you got questions let's answer them today brought to you by viewers like you (laughs) i don't know necessarily know that we're going to be answering any questions but i will be doling out some interesting information so of course everybody's familiar with how good old david Hayter voices snake in this game as he does in most of the other metal gear solid games but i figured i'd throw a few roses to some of the other uh, voice actors and voice actresses that voice some of the other characters in this game, uh, such as Jim Piddick, who voices Major Zero. Uh, he's apparently an English actor uh, that has actually appeared in a lot of movies and TV shows that we all know slash have seen. Uh, apparently he was in Lethal Weapon 2, Independence Day, Multiplicity, Austin Powers in Goldmember, uh, amongst a lot of other movies and TV. Um, James C. Mathis III, who plays uh, Sigent, I hope that I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, he's primarily known for voicing Black Panther in pretty much every single Marvel kind of cartoon and video game under the sun where Chadwick Boseman didn't voice him. And you guys are going to appreciate this. He voiced Hildis Vini in God of War Ragnarok. He's Freya's friend that transforms to and from a boar that you meet mm, yeah. in uh, Vanaheim later yeah, on. He's all over game. animation. I definitely recognize that guy's voice. Yeah. yeah. Um, now this one, this is where things get interesting. Eva was voiced by Suzetta Mignette. Now you're probably wondering who's Suzetta Vin- Mignette. Well, I had, here's the I thing: had Suzetta Mignette at a Ruth's Chris Steakhouse once. It was delicious. 
<laughs> you might be lying because apparently nobody knows who Suzetta Mignette is. Apparently, <laughs> it's a pseudonym for an unidentified voice actress. Um, Chris this Zimmerman, is some meta Kojima shit right here. Like so we're, Chris somebody Zimmerman, figures this out and it's the answer to Death Stranding 2 or whatever it is. <laughs> We'll definitely see what comes up in the future, but um, Chris Zimmerman, who previously was the casting and voice director on the Metal Gear Solid series in the past, basically stated that uh, Mignette's use of a pseudonym had nothing to do with Konami or Kojima that we know of, and instead apparently was a personal choice on the part of the actress, who basically didn't really want to kind of let their identity be publicly known. It's just, it's funny because like, obviously, you know, voice actors, actresses using, you know, pseudonyms like that, nothing new. You know, we we see it all the time in video games, animation, big blockbuster movies. But it's weird in this case because like Eva is the second biggest character in the game. She has like the most voice lines, the like biggest emotional arc in this game after Snake and the boss. And it's kind of crazy that we don't actually know who voiced her. That is wild. I imagine it's. I imagine it's because back then, even probably a little bit of it now, like there's a stigma to it. it. Just like before HBO came around, there used to be a stigma for like movie actors who did TV. Like, oh my god, so and so's career is over. They're doing a TV show now. Like they've taken. I, I'm Maybe. sure it was some woman who's like, I don't want people to know I did a video game because that is going to be the end of my career if people find that out. Yeah, like it wouldn't be. I suspect my theory is that it's probably it was probably someone on the same level as like Leia Sadu is on right now, like 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 a voice actress of like that level of renown who maybe was yeah concerned about having her name out there for the same reason. Uh, maybe I was a friend of Kojima. Kojima's been like loving movies and all that kind of stuff. Maybe it was a friend that she was like doing a favor for. But I bet she's a Chinese spy. <gasps> was she in the balloon? <laughs> yes, very topical. <laughs> oh my god, it's all coming together. A uh, couple more quick hits. Uh, the boss was portrayed by Lori Allen, uh, who's best known for voicing Pearl on SpongeBob, uh, the whale, oh. daughter of oh. Mr. Krabs, and Diane from Family Guy. Um, Neil Ross, uh, who is the voice of. Uh, what's his face? Vulgan. Uh, he's basically done a crazy amount of cartoons starting in the 80s. If you go on his Wikipedia page, it's like a who's who of like, he's done six G.I. Joes. He's done six Transformers. He's done da 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 da. However, probably the one role that we all know him best from is he's the voice of the Codex narrator in the Mass Effect series. He's the guy oh, where when you open okay. up the Codex, he's like, the Quarians were originally from this galaxy and da 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 da. Which I thought the was Earth went cool. to shit. Yeah, that guy's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, that guy. Uh, and one last little quick tidbit here: um, the Fury was voiced by a voice actor called Richard Doyle, who you know, like all the other people on this list, you know, he's done a bunch of cartoons, bunch of TV. However, in the Metal Gear Solid series, spoiler alert for the end of Metal Gear Solid Four. Spoiler alert for the end of Metal Gear Solid Four. He was actually brought back for the very last cutscene at the end of Metal Gear Solid Four to voice Big Boss in the final conversation that Snake and Big Boss have just before Big Boss dies. Clearly, whoever was the, uh, you know, casting director on that game realized it would be a little bit weird to have David Hayter have a conversation as himself voicing these two different characters. And so they cast Richard Doyle to play Big Boss for just that one scene. Hmm. And I got to say, like, say what you will about (laughs) Metal Gear Solid 4's 71 minute long final cutscene, but he kills it for those like final 20 minutes i feel like he he ends that series on the gravitas that it needed at that point in time also fun right. fact if you google richard doyle you find the wikipedia entry for richard dickie doyle <laughs> it was an 18th century british painter okay. richard dickie doyle uh, and with that are, are there any other tidbits any other pieces of information nuggets of wisdom that y'all want to share I am this just makes me even more excited for the rumored Metal Gear Solid 1 remake in like Unreal Engine 5 or whatever the hell is coming out just like hopefully ground up all the everything about it is just like completely revamped and made modern like that that gets me pumped so I did a little bit of research into that apparently the studio that is rumored to be working on it or at least collaboratively like collaborating on it is a studio called virtuous studio v-i-r-t-u-o-s 
which weirdly sounds an awful lot like Virtuous Mission, the Virtuous which is the Mission, first mission yeah. in the game. But Virtuous Studio, for the record, has been around for a long time. This isn't like a the Coalition or three four three industry situation where it's set up specifically to work on this one game. Um, yeah, I. So it's interesting because like there are like a lot of rumors out there speculating that like they could be working on a Metal Gear Solid 1 remake or potentially they're working on a 3 remake. I would actually be totally down to play through a 3 remake, even though I just played through this game again. It definitely, like, recharged my interest in this particular game and has definitely gotten me kind of looking forward to the prospect of seeing what a kind of modern HD version of this game looks like. Uh, do, but, you remember, yeah. do you remember when we got 4K versions of a lot of metal gear solid three things several years ago and it turned out to be a pachinko game <laughs> like they right. remastered so, these and beautiful that, yeah. and it was like it was a pachinko thing this is the dumbest correction of all time chad but it actually was not a pachinko game it was a pachislot game so oh, the difference right. between the two oh, is sorry a pachinko game is like the, the, the little metal balls pachislot is almost more like a slot machine where you have like a bunch of like numbers or symbols or whatever that like come down in those like slot like video wall thingies yeah apparently gotcha. there's like no joke like half an hour of footage that was made for that pachi slot game you, you can find it all on youtube at like decent enough quality because they've never like officially released the footage in any other capacity and it looks i mean the proof's in the pudding right there that there's potentially a really cool looking hd remaster of this game but we'll see if we get it in the future all right and with that, I think we've arrived at the end of our barf episode. Uh, before I sign off for the evening, uh, are we allowed to talk yet about what next month's barf episode is going to be centered around? Yeah, and where can where can people vote on that too? Yeah, uh, they can vote on it over at Patreon.com/slash/respawnaimfire. Uh, right now. Um, we put to vote uh, Splinter Cell Conviction, Doom Eternal, uh, Kentucky Route Zero, and Dead Space 2. Uh, and Doom Eternal is in the lead with just 24 minutes left. So <gasps> y'all watching this live have just a little bit more time to sway the vote if you would rather see another game overtake it. Um, but yeah, it would seem as if Doom Eternal is more likely to be the game to win but obviously we'll see about that uh till next time thank you to everybody for tuning in to watch this particular episode i'm alexander kazina you can find me over on twitter at alex kazina a-l-e-x-k-o-z-i-n-a uh oh, slightly flubbed that at the end uh chad <laughs> where can they find you i am on everything at chad mike ennis and by on everything i mean i only have a twitter so don't go looking on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok for me. But I'm on PSN and Twitter, at Chad Mike Ennis. And Adam, where can they find you? Follow me on Twitter, Adam Gumby, where I talk about how much I love Metal Gear, my favorite <laughs> game of all time. Hell yeah. And of course, you can find uh, the Respawn Aim Fire podcast on Twitter, at Respawn Aim Fire. Till next time. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>